What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 88 of the Modern Day Sniper Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Kalen Wojcik. And in this episode, myself and Ryan Diagostino are at the Mountain State Tactical Officer Association annual meeting in Helena, Montana. And we decided to just hang out and chill and turn on the microphones for an evening conversation about some of the things that we've seen at this class, some of the things that we've noticed with regard to techniques in marksmanship and the finer points of understanding how our body and our central nervous system is connected to the actual act of shooting. And uh, we discussed some things about some rifles, some gas gun stuff that Ryan has been working on and um, just enjoyed ourselves with a great conversation. So I hope you guys enjoy the same thing. It's been a couple weeks since we've posted an episode now that we're back from the United Kingdom. That was a fantastic trip. And you can expect a recap episode of that trip coming up here very shortly. I'm going to have to ask you guys to excuse my voice. We just got off of uh, pretty much three solid weeks of training and uh, in the wind yelling uh, to run the line kind of makes your voice a little hoarse. So uh, anyways, I hope you guys enjoy the episode. And don't forget to check us out at the Modern Day Rifleman Network at moderndayrifleman.com. And uh, we have a whole giant list of classes over there that you guys can peruse for the remainder of the 2023 season and into 2024. So make sure that you guys check that out as well. And uh, go check out our subscription service. Uh, The subscription service is really interesting this year over at Journey of a Rifleman, and you can find that in Modern Day Rifleman as well. So without further ado, enjoy the episode, and you guys know the drill. Keep your faces on the gun. I mean, that's kind of why I wing shit. It's like, I don't want to plan, because every time I try and plan something, it's like, I don't say it how I want to say something, or this doesn't go as planned. I'm just like, you know what? I know this topic, or this or this, or I know what I'm doing here. It's like, I'm just kind of going to go with it. Yeah, there, there's something to be said from that, and and what that means to me, anyways, is that you are you're confident enough in your in your depth and understanding of the subject that you can teach it just like that. And in large part, like that's kind of how we teach. Like we don't use PowerPoint presentations, you know. Like every once in a while, we will for like an internet class. Yeah. And I think that's necessary just because, like, in an internet class. Um, they're already looking at a computer screen. Yeah, they're already looking at a computer screen, number one. Um, but I kind of feel like, number one, they're good markers and, you know, for, for teaching points. And I think that it's um, it's a little bit more interactive, I guess, for the, for the viewer. You know what I mean? Like, it's going back and forth between two things. But, like, we're whiteboard teachers. You know, we don't need it. We don't need a classroom, like a full on classroom. Now, is that nice? Like if there's a classroom literally on the range, fantastic. We'll absolutely take advantage of that because it's gonna it's gonna like assist in the learning process, especially when you have AV equipment and like what we've been doing with students is like showing them trigger cam footage and then, you know, video footage of themselves. And like, that's very helpful. The and trigger cam is just night and day difference. It, it's so, so I mean, it's like, <laughs> To be a doctor, right? Because that's what we're doing as as teachers in this space. We're basically doctors of of the fundamentals of marksmanship. Like that's what we do. We diagnose things. We identify a trend or we identify um, a symptom, 
and then we trace it back to the root cause, which could be, I suppose, labeled as a disease. And we attack it from there and try to give the students like actionable methods to chase after. Your, cha your training is cancer. And I'm here to give you chemo, bitch. <laughs> right? For sure. I mean, it could potentially be looked at that. But, I mean, in some instances, the fundamentals are kind of that bad. Yeah, you know? yeah. It just, no, like, requires immediate and aggressive treatment. It's like, oh, man, that's stage four, bro. Right. So, like, I mean, geez, not to, like, laugh about that, but it's in yeah, the it's context not, not of... But in the, just in the context of what you're trying to get across, it absolutely works. Yeah. So... It's my um, dark humor coming out. It happens, man. Um, but yeah, it's uh, being able to being able to communicate about information like that and um, do it in a manner that's just more relaxed and and conversational. I think is what really uh, at least it keeps me engaged with the conversation. Yeah, no, I agree. Do we have to clap? Or no? I mean, is it recording? Yeah, we have been recording. Oh, we've been recording. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's the way this works, dude. I was like, man, this is good stuff. We should save this for the podcast. <laughs> that's why I did it. <laughs> no, it's um, like that's the cool part about it. So it's almost like, okay, the ice has been broken. And, um, you know, listening to a lot of other podcasts that are, I wouldn't say like overly produced, but very well done in my personal opinion. The, It's like a... It's a conversation, but it's an interview at the same time, which I think is super cool. Yeah. Because, you know, it's clear that the two individuals that are having the conversations or conversation, you know, they either hung out the night before, you know, they had dinner and like they're, they have shared experiences that they're going to talk about. And, and I think that's cool, a cool approach to it. Um, I mean, like, dude, we have literally so much to talk about from, Geez, we've been going straight for, I don't know, since what, the 15th of April? It's been like nonstop. Yeah. I mean, you and Phil had all, since then, for the in-person stuff, I've been knocking out the webinars on the network side. And then you got, and then like you got back and then I filled in with you. Mm -hmm. And we're still going for two weeks. I was like, I was looking at you. I was like, man, he doesn't look like it's even phased him. I was like, still just going strong. No, man, it's um, it's been a grind. It super has. Um, it's it's tiring, but for me, it's more along the lines of, um, you know, just being engaged all like throughout the day, and it, it's like because we, you know, we owe that we owe that to our students and customers. You know, like that's the way I look at that. And you got to be, you have to be present. You have to be there. And you have to be engaged. That's that's what your purpose is for that duration of time. It's hard. It it, it is hard, especially if you've been going that long. Because it's like, it, I mean, imagine like a waiter or a waitress, like they've been having an entire shift, but you pay good money to go here, and they're just like acting all fatigued and tired. Sure. And yeah. Not grouchy. energized. Yeah. I mean, there was a there was a couple of dudes when we were in the UK. Um, that had commented, they're just like, you boys have been going hard. And it's like, y'all are tired. And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, they're 12 hour days. 
So, I mean, it's 12 hour days of like being like super focused on solving everybody else's issues, yeah. which is important. So I wouldn't have it any other way, man, honestly. Like, no, it's awesome. I think about that and I go, I remember when I was a, when I was a steel fabricator, um, it's just a different kind of work. You know what I mean? Like, it really they're is. They're both hard. Yeah. It's both laborious. You know what I mean? They're both of those things or occupations are laborious, but in their own rights. So um, I, I wouldn't have it any other way. It's honestly, it's the best job I've ever had for real. Same. I mean, I was never a fabricator, but in terms of like, I guess you can say, quote unquote, a traditional job that, you know, all of us have worked and it's like, it hits different where it's like, that fatigue is like, uh, like if I did customer service stuff, it's like, that fatigue is just like, man, I dealt with some dumbasses today. But here, or teaching, it's like, you're just fatigued, but it's like satisfying because you like feel like you made a difference in multiple lives. And like, it's it's fatigue because like you said, you're trying to solve problems. It's Everyone's like, oh, this isn't, it never goes as planned. No, ever. Never. It's always, always someone, some, something can't get zeroed. Ballistic solvers ain't lining up for whatever reason. Now you got to go all doctor mode. And that's why you're, that's why they come to you is so you, because you have the experience or like we have the experience that we can be able to like diagnose this, like even just over a phone call. Yeah. Just be like, okay, we'll try this, try this and, and whatnot. But it's. It can take be tiring, especially when you got twenty people sure. trying to do it, and then you're just standing around all day. Well, not standing around, but out in the heat all day or cold. Yeah. But I love it, man. It's. Yep. It's rewarding. fun. It's it is super rewarding, and and a lot of the times the people that we have as our customers, they come away from the experience saying like, this didn't only improve me as a shooter, like it helped me look at my. It helped me look inside of myself in a, in a way that I hadn't ever been able to connect with. Yeah. For real. And like, that's the thing is that this is a really, like shooting itself is, um, I'm learning more and more is that, you know, it's a connection between your mind, an inanimate object and your body. It's powerful. And so like, you gotta tap into a lot of different things and we, we're doing it, but we don't know what we're doing at first, right? Like we could break down the, the natural point of aim drill, for example. Like at first when I did that, I was like, hmm, that's a great way of, and if, I don't know if somebody ever had done it before I did because no idea is really ever original, no matter what. Um, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Kind of yeah, like, yeah, for real. And so like, I just know that when I discovered it, um, literally on my own happenstance of saying, yeah, I think that could work to do this from uh, an experience I had shooting a pistol drill. And then at first I was like, ah, it's just gonna help me explain to shooters how to get a natural point of aim with a, with a scoped weapon, yeah, with a scoped rifle. Cause it's, I think it's pretty easy to do with iron sights uh, especially if you teach people how to, you know, correctly address a rifle that's like in a sling supported position. But I think it's a little bit more difficult with a scoped, with a scoped rifle. I mean, like you said, you learned with, uh, the pistol aspect. I mean, that's why so many times, like you always hear me, 
I'm relating it back to pistol carbine stuff mm -hmm. because everyone shoots pistol and carbine. So I know for a fact most of these guys, especially SWAT dudes, uh, like we have now, I can I can relate a lot of these analogies to that and just apply it to the rifle. For sure. Yeah, because it's I mean at its core it's marksmanship. That's all it is. And um, I definitely think there's there's shooting disciplines out there that um, are far more uh, like they you it requires more focus on one aspect of the foundational principles of marksmanship than others. Um, like. As an example, archery. Archery is is kind of like uh, akin to golf, in in a lot of ways, because there's just more moving parts that you have to tend to with archery. Um, I really enjoyed shooting bows, and I did. I learned a lot about. Um, I learned about consistency and form from shooting bows, because, like with bows, you could go. So like a, the brace height on a bow, and I'm talking about forgiveness here, right? So if you wanted a bow that was really, really, really fast, you wanted a short brace height, and that's the distance from the grip to the string. So it's like the length of pull almost? Uh, well, not quite to that extent. No, not quite that. But um, that length of pull would be draw length. Okay. So I'm not an archery guy. No, it's cool, but like I think once, once you... Um, understand some of these dynamics it's gonna it's gonna make connections between rifles and, and archery so like your your brace height is how fast you want the arrows to go right like if you have a short brace height that's going to be a fast shooting bow so it's like a barrel length a longer yeah. barrel length more yeah. muzzle velocity however those rifle or those bows are very twitchy they're very difficult to shoot well consistently because the 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 distance from the grip to the string and i know there's going to be archery folks that are listening to this and if you guys have a better explanation of this um and i'm not doing it justice just like say hey check it out no for real because i want i i used to know this stuff and i i understand the concepts but i lost the verbiage to describe i think i get what you're saying because it, the i'm assuming i mean i don't do archery but i'm assuming the closer that is to where you're putting your hand i guess the longer that has to travel and make contact with yep. the arrow the entire time so your follow-through is more important yep. because it's still For contacting sure. the arrow 100 percent. so it's like your quote-unquote recoil management right it'd be like your recoil management yeah that's your follow your follow-through of the bow is so incredibly important it's like it will make or break a shot for sure and like we used to shoot our bows at pretty pretty decent distances i mean i for certain i for one i was confident with my bow out to like 90 yards yeah, I could put an arrow into a pie plate at 90 yards. You know, obviously under like not crazy wind conditions or anything like that, but much like we shoot field matches and stuff and like NRL hunter type stuff here, there's a whole other world of archery, which is um, like hunters started to do it to just kind of prep themselves for hunting scenarios. And it was called 3D. And so it's all 3D foam animal targets. And the match director, right? Um, puts them out and you shoot a course and some of the shots are like big old bears at you know 90 yards and stuff and it's usually like tiebreaker phases or stages because the dots are so small and stuff it's a fun it's a fun way to really sharpen your your skills of shooting a bow in the field yeah sounds like it yeah it's awesome it's super fun 
you said something last week and this week, and it really made me starting to think too. Um, this is where that you always develop as not just an instructor, but as a student of the of the craft. And it's it was a uh, the whole reticle focus or target focus thing for sure, and man. You said uh, I'll let you tell that side of the story, but before you tell it what really made it resonate to where I was like, you know what? It just fucking makes sense. Because, again, going back to that pistol carbine, like we talk about red dots, it's like, well, why? The whole thing about the red dot is going back to primal ways and being threat-focused and not target, mm -hmm. or, or not a weapon-focused, if you will, or psych-focused. Yeah. So we're not looking at the dot, or we're not looking um, at the hologram or whatever you've got. We're looking past that and superimposing that dot over it but we're still staring at what we're trying to shoot yep and that's what allows that dot to track and come right back instead of chasing the dot because then you chase the dot and now your recoil is going up as a right-handed shooter up into the right and now you're going to see your vertical diagonal or your diagonal string tracking that because you're trying to chase this dot so right. it's like yeah the dude that makes total sense because your body can't tell when to stop right your so body can't tell when to stop, right? So it sees eyes. that moving objects, that moving object, which is the dot. And if you're tracking the dot in recoil, then yeah, your body wouldn't know when am I supposed to stop because I'm looking at this object that's in motion. Versus if you if you focus on if you focus on where you want the bullet to go, and that's the center of your wobble. As long as that center of the wobble is superimposed where you want the bullet to go, it's going to go there if you built a natural point of aim and you obviously have the right dope and wing call. Yeah, why don't you t tell them how that came about, that phone call you had? Oh, yeah. Um, Cody, Cody Vormans. Cody Vormans, um, he used to be a shooter for, for proof research on the hunting side. And... Um, he, uh, he came to one of my rifle classes in like 2014 and he has a background in Olympic offhand shooting. Yeah, he's a really, really good shooter. And so that was one of those students where it's like as a challenge as a teacher where you're like, dude, what, what am I going to teach this guy? <laughs> yeah. Like I'm probably going to learn from him. And I have a lot of respect for Cody. Like I, I hope if Cody is listening to this, man, like, yeah, dude, like I learned a lot from you. And he called me one day and he said, hey, I got a question for you. And he said, um, what do you look at? And this is after he took my class. Uh, and he goes, well, what do you look at when you shoot? And I said, automatic response, like just like a oh, you know, yeah. robotic response. Well, the radical, of focus. course. <laughs> and um, he goes, are you sure? And I was like, man... No, <laughs> you know, no, I guess I'm, not. <laughs> I guess I'm not sure. So we had a little conversation about it. It wasn't like a big, long conversation. And he was talking about um, his coaches always telling their shooters to focus on the spot where they wanted the bullet to go. And your, your brain will direct and basically know when that reticle, that float is in the center of the target. And then you can press the trigger. And so I was like, okay, dude, all right, I'm gonna go out and try this. And so I went out and tried it. And I noticed that when I shot from the prone position, 
um, when there is virtually no radical movement, right? It's just, it's in a prone position. Not necessarily like free recoiling, but even then we can get really obviously rock solid if we build a good position. And so I noticed that when obviously the parallax was, was adjusted and the radical wasn't moving, I could very easily superimpose the radical on the point at which I wanted the bullet to go. And when there's no parallax in the system, you can basically, you can take yeah. your pick. What do you want it to They're look on the at? same plane. Yeah. So, um, but then when I got into some less stable positions and I started to see wobble and reticle movement, it was then that I started to realize, oh, yes. Because if you're staring at the reticle, you're chasing it the whole time. Just like a red dot. Yep. And if you're if you're chasing your wobble you know we're calling it we have called it for years timing shots um but i don't think it's timing shots i mean it is timing shots because your your brain is seeing where the reticle is going to go but dude that it's just you can't you can't do that with success unless of course you have a really heavy rifle i'll t i'll tell you that right now like that's why the the PRS competitors on the upper echelon make the rifles heavy. Not only are they balanced, but the weight of the rifle is significantly more forgiving in less stable positions, right? Um, so when you're chasing the reticle though, number one, your brain doesn't know where to stop, doesn't know because you're constantly chasing it because that visual stimulus that's coming in now the body's proprioception is unable to work. And so you have no idea like when things are gonna happen. You're, you're always behind the power curve. So I know I've also heard some people that, that do a lot of offhand shooting, like, like terms like shoot on the way in, like as the reticle is on the way into the target. But then you're like, okay, well, is it on the way in on the left or is it all on the way in on the right? Like, I don't know what you mean. That doesn't make, I mean, perhaps if somebody like sat down and explained it to me that uses the technique successfully, I, I hopefully would understand it. But it just, then I, start, I shot, to, Eve, to further explore it, I shot a mover. I fired up my mover and I shot movers. And I'll be damned if I looked at the reticle, I would always shoot behind the target. Even, so even if you were looking at the lead of your reticle? Yeah, if I was, I, that's another, I think that's another topic in and of itself, but I think actually it blends um, because in that instance, you are trying to track two things at one time, especially if you're using the ambush method, right? However, I did find the most success as watching the target approach the ambush and using using a lead edge hold instead of a center edge hold, really? Or, or not a center edge hold, but a center hold. Over, you would use a lead over a center. Well, just the edge, right? Like, yeah. so I'd figure out like if my hold was one point five, and it's like an ipsic, you know, it's probably it's like seven tenths or eight tenths wide. Oh, so you take that off? I just the hold one one point one on the lead edge, and now you have a hard contrast line that cuts. Correct. The reticle. Okay. But then there's the other side of the camp where if you track, like if you're going to track the target, 
the better option is to put the lead in the center of the target because now your brain now your brain can actually focus on a wider area in terms of not just this harsh one instant tiny point yeah it's a flow yeah yeah it's more like a flow especially if you're moving with it and um because now your brain has a fixed point to maintain its proprioception right and so then i started to think about that and i was like man okay all right i see that and then philip and i started to have conversations on like trusting the wobble like getting students to understand that you know the natural point of aim in standing position in a tripod i don't really care how far away the target is like i've hit the 1400 yard target on my range you know, with a 308 from the standing position on a tripod. As long as the wind call's good, you got good dope, and you got a good natural point of aim, you break a clean shot, the bullet's gonna go there. So obviously that's gonna have more chances of missing the target because the wobble zone's bigger uh, than you would in a prone position, but it's totally doable. Oh, for sure. And so like we started talking about this, this trust the wobble thing and, um, it just, again, you know, you just start connecting dots. You know, as you try to help students diagnose things, you start connecting dots and you start like just trying to understand things at a deeper level of like what is going on in your mind when you make the decision to press the trigger. I think it's fascinating because it starts to, it's not just shooting anymore. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's not, it's, well, it's instinct, but then the depth of understanding of, of why all this is happening that goes beyond shooting, right? So that's like learning how your brain works and how your brain, your, your eyeballs, your brain and your body are all connected. And so that's kind of like why I like listening to Owen talk. I learned so much from him every time I chat with him because the more that we learn about the brain and how it works, the more we can understand how to capitalize on it and like learn things faster and make more, uh, I guess, aha epiphany moments happen quicker for students. Yeah. The, um, no, that was definitely kind of eye-opening with the reticle thing. Cause it's like, Hey, you know, it's just you know, reticle focus mm -hmm. press and it, it just questions it, which I like cause I question everything. But not in like a, a snarky manner, but just in like a general curiosity, like, is this the right way of doing it? And For sure. So, and I think that's how you progress. And so now it's like got me thinking like, well, yeah, maybe I should be target focused. I mean, especially when you can get rid of parallax. Um but I think there's a time and place for everything and knowing when to adapt it. Absolutely. What would you say for iron sights? Would it be front sight focus like we always do? Yeah, because, yeah, I think with iron sights, especially, especially with a rifle, and, well, actually not even so, it would be opposite because of the sight, the radius. And I say it's important with a pistol because um, you can only focus on one thing. And you got three focal points. There. Right, and you have three focal points. So with a pistol, what is far more important? Sight alignment and maintaining that sight alignment through the, through the ballistic event right yeah which is trigger control right like or and as well as grip making sure that we're gripping the pistol in in such a manner 
that not only is the hand in a neutral position, but it's gripping the pistol hard enough that we can control the recoil and then press the trigger crisply without moving it. I guess in a nutshell, that's what you're trying to do. Yeah, pretty much. So in that case, you'd probably have to focus on your front sight because you need to know where that is in relationship to the target. And the rear sight. And the rear sight. Now, now begs the question, what if you're moving? There's a time and place. Well, no, what are you focused on when you're moving and the target is, is moving in parallax, right, as you're moving? Right. Do you focus on the target at that point? Because now we understand what proprioception is all about and how that all works, like literally physiologically, um, kinesthetically, if you wanted to get like super $10. words. Um, <laughs> It's funny, we just talked about that. We don't like yeah. super words. Fucking $10 words, man. <laughs> Listen to me, I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, right. Um, but getting back to that anyway, so you know, no matter which way you look at it, it's, it's, it's there, and it definitely deserves attention and yeah. exploration as to why that is. So like even like we were talking about, and then I thought about, I was like, oh yeah, like I learned this years ago as like a young corporal doing transitions with a pistol. Mm -hmm. And the teacher looking at you and saying, hey, don't focus on your sights as you track because you're always gonna overrun the target and have to come back. Look at the target, like once you've finished the shot process for the last shot and you find the target with your eyes, drive your body and your gun to it, and it will always stop within reason, I guess. Yeah, lead with the eyes, sights will follow. Exactly, and so that's capital. Like we've known this to be true for years, but we just didn't, I don't think it's just, it's like those evolutionary things. You know, we just, we knew it was happening, but didn't truly understand why. Yeah, and I guess it just makes sense because like a gun, like a gun's a gun. And so it's like, why would it work for pistol and carbine? but not for a precision rifle. Sure. Like, right. there's no reason it can't. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, obviously, you know, the wild thing in the, the only difference in that is that it's got a magnified optic. But really, the only thing that the magnified optic is doing is it's bringing the image of what's far away up close so that way you can precisely aim at it. Yeah. I mean, that's all it's doing. Um, and obviously providing a, 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 a precise aiming point through mechanical means um it's fascinating man like that's like i i did like i kind of got a little burnout on shooting and i think the reason that i got burnout on shooting was like and not to say that it was like boring because i was like super good at it it was just kind of like i just hit a roadblock of of like okay like i, I need to go i need to take this to the next level like I need to take my understanding of it to the next level. And so I think this is this is a, a pretty decent step because honestly putting this stuff into practice um, and, and truly f having the bandwidth, that was the other thing, man. Like I literally had no mental bandwidth to dedicate my true undivided attention to shooting in the last, I don't know, probably two years just with all the shit that's gone on in, uh, in my life. And it definitely sucked a lot of energy away. 
um, that I could definitely feel. But now, like being re-energized and then having at the same time a deeper understanding of how my body works and interacts with this tool, now it's like, all right, <laughs> let's go, man. Let's let's figure out what more we can do. That's good. Yeah. So it's like a re-energized uh, version of of me in that realm. So I'm pretty excited about uh, about exploring it deeper. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Um, honestly, like I, what my plan was was this year. What last year was to to be like kind of in the preparational phases of, you know, doing more PRS competitions, um, and then like taking a real focused run at it this year, like that we're in right now. But that didn't happen. So, um. I want to take another. I want to. I want to do that same process again, and I think I'm going to start that process this fall. Good. Of like saying, all right, this is the focused effort, and um, I think I have the bandwidth and the capacity to do it. So. Yeah, I think so too. I, I want to. It's like I want to see what else I can do. So, and it's not um, like we talk a lot about intention and stuff, especially like through the the journey that we're doing in the. Uh, in the modern day rifleman network and those journal entry, those journal prompts are pretty powerful when it comes to like saying, okay, like really what is your intention with doing this? Um, like, why do you feel like you need to chase after anything in particular? It doesn't necessarily have to be shooting. Like, why do you want to chase after this? You know? So as long as you're coming at that, being honest with yourself and you're not like kidding yourself and you take an honest look at like, Hey, how can I, is this goal, even attainable in this current format of how my life is going, you know, once all those things start lining up, then it's like, okay, man, let's do this. Let's go roll. Let's have some fun while we're doing it. I like it. So I'm going to be doing some competitions this year. I'm stoked for you, man. I think that, like I told you earlier, I think that you'd be really, really good at it. Yeah. I, no, I'm definitely going to do it. I've just always been more towards the field stuff. Like I did Mammoth, and I in September I have Real World Sniper this year coming up. But, but I'd like to hit a a PRS, PRS, one or two of them this year at least, um, just for the sake of doing it um, and kind of one for myself, but two just for the sake of, you know, given our position. It's like kind of just like, okay, you need to. Yeah, but I also want to do it for myself. I definitely think that it's it's very important for us to remain yeah. relevant in that realm. I agree. And the thing is, is that um, doing it and like it, teaching, like let's just say teaching at the frequency that we have been lately, it, I'm I'm really fresh. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I've been shooting a lot. And not only shooting a lot, but in shooting a lot, I'm, 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 I'm being forced to take that deep dive with every shot that I take in front of students. So that way I can, number one, help explain because we're starting to like show everything with the trigger cam when we can. Um, and I think that's super beneficial in like huge ways. And I think it's just... Uh, you're, you're really focused on understanding what you just did so that way you can answer questions. 
yeah. and then help diagnose problems, right? So uh, I'm, I'm, I feel pretty fresh. Really weird, uh, same, like, it's weird how things can, can just like uh, throw little wrenches in your deal, uh, in your mindset, because like take for example, um, I got a lot of, of uh, ammunition over in the United Kingdom that um, my rifle just did not like at all. And it was bizarre uh, because I had shot that ammo through that barrel in the past and it shot fine, like no issues with it. And so this time, and well, the load that I, the normal training, training load that I shoot through that rifle is, is uh, 147 grain ELDMs. And it's with Hornady brass and I'll tell you guys, I shoot 41.4 grains at H4350 with Hornady brass and I load it on a, on a Dillon 550. And that particular 147 load, I've shot it in I think eight Creedmoors, including yours now. And it all, every single rifle, it just eats that stuff alive. It's amazing. It literally was, prints one hole. I was pissed, but relieved simultaneously <laughs> right? because I was like, <laughs> So what happened for those obviously are listening? Um, the my accuracy international my it came it comes with a six five Creedmoor barrel, but I with it purchased a six Creed barrel, and I immediately threw the six Creed on. So I'm at around twelve hundred thirteen hundred rounds right now, still stacking rounds, um, still shooting fast, averaging twenty nine seventy seven factory, and um, I was like, okay, cool. Well, I'm getting towards the end of this life. Let me at least start seeing what the 6.5 is doing. And, I mean, to me, I was like, burger is supposed to be like the pinnacle, burger, hornady, stuff like that. And I don't remember how it grouped when I was first breaking in the barrel with the first 100 rounds of like some hornady 6.5 that I had. Because um, it was more, in those first 100 rounds, I'm not paying too much attention to stuff, just kind of working on like fundamentals, building positions, stuff like that, just to uh while i'm breaking it in uh but now that i'm like at these classes and i was like all right well cool i got these burgers here that cast found and um it got a couple you know good groups and i just couldn't really get it to group man and i had you hop and i was like caitlin i guess i just suck today like can you hop on it you got a better group but it was like still staggered like you had one one like half the group was like one spot and the other half was in another. And I was like, okay, I don't know what's going on. I was like, it only has like 300 rounds through it or so. And then the, that night we cleaned it, like deep clean, like bore, or the bore scope and everything. It was like bare metal. And then the next day, tested the burgers and same thing. And then uh, I shot your hand loads. Oh, wait, no, this was before the cleaning. Yep, I shot. it was. Yeah. So then I, so nothing was even changed, but then I took your hand loads. You're like, here, try six of these. Friggin' stack those six rounds, other than one, which I knew was on me. I broke too early. But the other five were stacking. And I was like, like, relieved that. I was like, okay, I, I'm not, I don't suck. Yep. But then I was pissed because, like, damn it, my barrel, like, why isn't this grouping? And so it's crazy, man. But that, those, those hand loads just shoot. Well, you know, that's, uh, again, that's a load that I, developed just using the optimal charge weight system. And it's just been an absolute uh, 
winning formula for me, man. So, I mean, that's a question, that's a conversation for another time, but I had this lot of ammo there that just did not shoot well out of this rifle. And, and I, and the week prior to me leaving for UK, I shot a lot. I was, you know, wanted to make sure that I was sharp and ready to go and that the rifle was in good condition, um, barrel in the, pretty much in the middle of its lifespan. And, um, it was like, all right, cool. You know, I'm seeing, so my perception is I'm seeing the results of that, that hand load. And it's just like putting bullets through the same hole. It's effort, effortless to shoot that thing, right? It just shoots well. You just, did? Yeah. And um, came, to, came to the UK, got a lot of ammo. Um, and it was, it was difficult. It was really strange. Um, and it wasn't like there was any temperature variability or anything. It was very consistent. It was basically like 45 and rain <laughs> the whole time we were there with a couple of days of sun. It was pretty, it was, uh, it was whales apparently. So now I know what to expect when we go back, but, um, it wasn't like there was wild temperature swings or anything like that. And, um, I tried tuning it and you're also in that situation where you have a limited supply of ammunition. So I can't just lay there and shoot like right. 60 freaking rounds to try to get it tuned the right way. And you got students. Yeah. And you got students watching. So, and that was one of those situations where, um, you know, we used Hornady ammo for this. And, uh, you know, this isn't one of these things where it's just like, oh, you know, Hornady or any, any other manufacturer. It's just like, hey, sometimes you get a lot of ammunition that does not agree with your rifle. Yeah. It happens, right? And so that was what, I, what happened. And it was like weird because it would group well and then it'd pitch, it would pitch like one or two. Um, or you, I'd shoot a stage with it and I'd, smash a target with a literally like a 0.1 mil wobble zone no questions asked and then the same the same follow-up shot the bullet goes like four tenths low and left Oof. it's just like yeah that's not me you know what i mean so you yeah. know that there's something going on and you know that it's not you but then again it can it like it's definitely something that can shake you and so I ended up shooting Phil's rifle for the rest of the for the rest of the time there because it shot his chamber shot it well, and so oh same ammo yeah same ammo. So then when I came home, I knew I had what a two day turnaround. I traveled home, flew home, and um, I was there the next day. Met Cass for our anniversary. In Seattle, we spent we spent a, a night in Seattle and had a nice meal and celebrated. And then uh, drove home. That's when you showed up. Yep. We had a day of prep to go get things ready, and then boom, we had our full class. So I was just like, man, I did have other rifles that I could shoot, but I didn't really want to. It'll shake you, right? Those things will shake you, and it'll make you question things, and you just, it brings it back to having, having the confidence in yourself and having the iron mind. Like that's literally what it is. It's having an iron mind and not allowing those things, even though they're happening and you're literally making do with the best that you have in that current moment. And it's obvious that it's not working. Um, 
you just, you literally cannot allow your mind to drift. You have to be unwavering. You really do. And then you come, then I come home and I'm like, damn it, I got this class coming. I, I loaded ammo for this rifle specifically ahead of time for this class. <laughs> I had like 300 rounds loaded for it. And um, I was just like praying to God that it would shoot. I was like, man, I don't really want to shoot this other stuff. Because um, that's got the expensive bullets in it. And that's for a purpose. So we'll go to the range with you, yeah. right? Bam, bam, bam. Three shots through the same hole. All right, we're good. Three shots through the same hole. I'm like, shit, son, we're back, <laughs> you yeah. know? And uh, it, that is, again, it's a testament to, to like having confidence in your equipment and, and like having that part of the equation all solved and accounted for, right? So once that's done, that truly does allow you to be fully present for yourself without question of what's, what else is happening in the peripheral. Like that's, that's what allows you to maintain that foveal vision like Owen was talking about today. Foveal and peripheral. I mean, that's pretty crazy, right? Thumb. Yeah. Thumb at arm's length. You know, that's one degree. And then two thumbs, two degrees. Start to spread them out. When you see the fuzz, that's like, whoa, that's pretty narrow, dude. That's super narrow. Um, but that's where our focus has to be when we're shooting. And that's why I th that's why the more and more I think about it, the more and more I do it, that target focused aspect of, hey, this is where I want the bullet to go. So that's where I'm gonna put it, right there. Yeah, I mean, think about like throwing a football, not that I was a football player, <laughs> but you look at who you're trying to throw it to. Yep, absolutely. You're not looking at the football. Indeed. That's a J that's a Jacob Bynumism. Which is? Oh, is that what he says? Does yeah. Does a, does Tom Brady need a fucking formula to throw a football to a wide receiver? No. He sees the sight picture, knows everything about his throw, and he launches that ball. And it just goes. Yeah. And it I mean, I, like, I'm sure quarterbacks these days are pretty fucking accurate with what they can do with a football, you know. But, um, yeah, it's all that. It's, it's literally how your brain works. And um, moving targets. Uh, I learned that when I went to Dylan Arrow's aerial rifle course. Like, that's a trip because you're literally, you're focused on two things at once. You know, you're using... You're using a combination. Now I understand. Now I understand the words, right? You're using a combination of your foveal vision and then utilizing the outer edges of your foveal vision, which would be the borders of your peripheral, to see the beaten zone on the target. And you're using that information to adjust your lag as you, as you pass by the target because the angles increase 90 and then decrease as the as the helicopter is moving and so your lead has to cons or your lag i'm sorry has to constantly change as the helicopter is in relation to the target and it's really i mean it takes time like it takes several racetracks to like get it down but once you once you're like oh that's what i'm looking for you can murder a 55 gallon drum 
Yeah. From a moving helicopter, like, no problem. A shot out of a helicopter, but not to that extent of, like, a dedicated, like, training thing. But it's like I could see what you were talking about. Yeah. Looking back at it. Well, in, like, a hovering helicopter, like, we've done that before, shooting a scoped rifle from a hovering helicopter. I mean, I've done it from Huey's. I've done it from um, Blackhawks. I've done it from CH-46s. Not a, never a 53, but that's again one of those things where it's you know it's precision suppression, I guess you could call it. And um, I kind of feel like you have, I don't know, maybe not more accuracy. I don't know. I'm, I'd have to revisit that, but my brain is suggesting that you'd actually have better chances of being more precise by having the helicopter in motion rather than in a hover. Huh. And now it's like, now I'm thinking about like this whole, you know, target focused aspect of shooting. And it just all, again, it makes sense. Like it's all there. All the components are there that, that it would be more inherently more accurate. Yeah. I guess I got to call Dylan. Let's yeah, let on, me know. Cause let's I'll go, go down and shoot out of helicopters. It'd be fun. <laughs> I got an MP5. I'll try it out of that. <laughs> now it's a, it, that was an eye opening experience. Literally like total, total pun intended. Um, that's sick. No, it was fun and uh, definitely learned a lot there too. And so, I mean, I guess circling back like to Cody's, to Cody Vorman's phone call, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, no, that's definitely, there's some, definitely something there. I wonder what it would be like, how you would go about that, like something like an LPVO where it's fixed parallax. Mm, that yeah. goes down. I think that just goes straight into... Um, Understanding the capable capabilities of that weapon, yeah, yeah, you know, with all of that built into it, yeah, there's a certain degree of accuracy. Like, you know, can you shoot? Can you shoot that rifle out at great distances with, with accuracy? Sure, you sure can, but that's not really what its purpose is. You know, I agree. So then, you know, you, there there begs the question: is just like, well, that's that perception. When we all go all the way back to the circle of components, when we say, hey, don't ask more from your rifle than what it's intended to give you. It falls right. within the noise of the weapon system. Right. So it's like, well, okay, it's a it's a minute and a half rifle. That's what it's for. Yeah. I always try and be like, <laughs> even if it's a pistol, it's not going through the same hole. Yeah, <laughs> and that's the that's that <laughs> perception, right? We want it to be that way. But we have we have to not set ourselves up for that mental failure because that's what it is. It's your own mind. It's your own mind getting in the way of um, of understanding like what's reasonable with this particular system. Like I've told it to students before. I had a guy um, come to a class. This is a long time ago, um, but he brought a 1903 Springfield, and he had a, a modern. He had it milled for a modern scope mount and he put a rifle scope on it. And this was a long time ago. This was a, it was a, uh, one of those old school Springfield armory scopes. Um, and he was on it. He was totally upfront. He was like, look, I'm bringing a, basically a curio relic to, to this class. And, and I don't really care because I'm here to shoot with it and have a good time with it because, you know, my grandfather carried this rifle. Oh, that's awesome. And I was like, dude, badass man let's go shoot that thing and we shot it and it was 
about a two minute angle rifle, you know, with the ammo that he brought. And it was like, okay, man, this is it. There's plenty of targets on the range that, that are bigger than two minutes. Like, this is what it's gonna be capable of. Freaking have a blast, right? But understand that if you try to hit that 10 inch plate at a grand, you might not hit it. You know what I mean? Like Not consistently. Not consistently. Even if you do hit it, it might be luck, you know, or it will be luck. And he was totally fine with that. He had a blast and he loved the shit out of every shot he fired. Dude. He learned a ton. I mean, it beat the shit out of him. <laughs> I mean, it really beat the piss out of him. But um, yeah, he understood what the rifle was capable of. And he wasn't all butthurt that, you know, it wasn't putting bullets through the same hole. As long as he understood it. Yep. And Indeed. I have that. It's like kind of going into that AR-10 stuff where it's like, uh, I it's like you want that bolt gun precision aspect and sometimes you get it, but it's not as easy or as consistent and just like mechanically speaking just doesn't always yep. perform like a bolt gun will. 100%. Um, Absolutely. I've seen hit and miss one. So like what's your experience with uh, – What's, what's your experience with AR-10s? Fairly, I mean, fairly limited. Um, the, uh, the first types of AR-10s that I came in contact with were the early SR-25s. Okay. When I was teaching at, at sniper school. The SEALs would bring them. Um, and that was, again, that was like, okay, well, it's cool. Like, it's a, a somewhat precision gas gun. And we on the Marine Corps side of the house, we were just like, man... Uh, we like longed for those things because we knew that there were definitely missions that that rifle was much better suited for. And so it was convenient. You know, we would see the SEALs operate with those rifles. And some of the SEALs we saw that came through like had no experience. They had just graduated from BUDS. And they, that was like one of the first schools in their pipeline. Um, and then we, we had many senior dudes come through you know, like E6s and, you know, senior E5s that have been in the teams for a while and had some experience. And you'd see them, how they operated with it during, you know, patrol phase and, you know, land nav stuff. And, and you just be like, okay, well, I can totally see how that's way more applicable. You know, we have the ability to fight with that rifle. Uh, we have the ability to be relatively precise with that rifle. And, um, aside from the suppressor, it doesn't look much different than an infantry weapon system. Right. Right. So there were definitely pros. And so we shot those things and um, we paid very close attention to the accuracy of them because uh, like at that point in time, our concern was that the rifle was not going to be capable of the accuracy we needed it to, to qualify. And even then those thoughts were literally not well thought out because if we would have been that analytical, we would have looked at our qual and said, it's not well thought out to begin with anyways. Yeah. Even for the rifles that we were shooting. So anyways, we would look at those guns and they shot well enough. Um, if, uh, if, a, if a seal didn't qualify, it was not the result of his rifle. Let's put it that way. It really wasn't like, cause we paid real keen attention to him cause it was a, we wanted to learn about it. So um, then 
I had uh, an SR-25 that my battalion commander had somehow squirreled into our battalion and, and gave it to us. And it had, um, we got the, the SR-25, we got the suppressor, and then we had a PVS-27 with it. And so that rifle would circulate through our teams based upon whatever mission, you know, we, we had to do. So, you know, if there was, you know, if we were doing some stuff out of like indigenous vehicles and we were building like vehicle hides and stuff, the team that was doing that got the stoner, right? Stuff like that. And then it was kind of a crapshoot when we attacked the city of Fallujah. Um, I didn't know what to expect. And I kind of felt at that point in time, I wanted a bulk gun for whatever reason it was. And in my mind, I was like, I want to be as precise as possible. And um, I knew that stoner that we had was like a two minute of angle rifle. It wasn't that good. And so uh, my buddy Shep asked if he could take it. He said, I'll take it. Because he didn't want to yard around his 40 with a, with a PVS-10 on it. He made the best choice. Like he really did make the best choice. And so um, he did a lot of work with that rifle. And so in hindsight, talking with him about it and like debriefing his experience with it, it has many, many merits for that particular environment. And so like I got out and um, I had a couple of AR-10s. I had a Mega or I have a Mega from Proof Research with a 6.5 barrel on it, it shoots really well. Um, that was interesting to be a part of as proof navigated their way through understanding the, the chamber pressures and the uniqueness of the 260 6.5 Creedmoor in a gas, in a large format gas platform. And so that led to their developments of the cam gas system, which was super cool. And um, I shot AR-10s for a little while. I didn't, I wasn't like super into them. I was more focused on the bulk gun side, but I shot them just to stay relevant. And uh, I got introduced to Lewis Machine and Tool. Lewis Machine and Tool asked me to do some some uh, some consulting for them on methods of shooting AR platforms with a tighter degree of accuracy, um, so that they could do they could be more successful at tests, right? And so uh, I came to their, their plant before they moved to Iowa in, in the, when they were in Indiana and uh, met Carl. Carl is a super, super rad dude. Like just awesome guy to hang out with. I mean, I just like, I just like listening from, to the guy and learning from him. He's got such a crazy wealth of information. Like grew up working for, uh, I believe Springfield Armory when he was like a teenager. Oh really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So he's, done it his whole life right Jesus. and he's got that analytical mindset of you know what man i can do that <laughs> yeah yeah i can do that you know and that's cool that's like literally lewis's style it's it's uh it's really cool that's awesome so and he's a very very generous man super generous guy and um, i feel very uh very privileged to to know him and to be able to like call him and say hey and talk with him um, so learned a lot from him, hung out with LMT, shot their rifle, and um, I have an MWS from them, and it shoots well. It shoots inside a minute. It's a good gun. Um, and I have a 6.5 barrel for it as well that also shoots inside a minute. 
and um yeah that relationship is you know still there and although i haven't been focused on gas guns much because we've been really focused at modern day sniper on the bolt gun side of the house and um now as we start to develop back into um a focus on the uh, on the gas operated platform side of the house obviously that relationship is going to continue to to blossom because i'm going to i'm going to call <laughs> i'm going to call carl and ask him a bunch of technical questions awesome. because i'm fascinated by it too like yeah. i want to know what makes those rifles shoot so well like i understand what makes a bolt gun shoot so well i get it um but the key is is to figure out how to do it in that gas platform and do it consistently yeah, bull gun's just a dead system. Right. So it's interesting. And um, you know, if, when you get one that shoots really well, it's like a it's like a unicorn. That yeah. you're like, I just want to pet this <laughs> and shoot it occasionally. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I did a I did a instructor course for the army, uh the Army Sniper School staff, and they had an M one ten K, one of the first ones that came out with the uh with the specific suppressor for it is that 14 and a half inch barrel it that thing ryan shot literally a half minute and i was like i don't believe it that's impressive and there was like the well the the staff of the of the army sniper school has a lot of um a lot of amu guys come through as teachers from the marksmanship perspective and so like those guys all shot it shot the same groups i did the other staff member shot it, shot the same groups I did. I was like, well, holy shit, that's a unicorn. Like, Keep it. Yep. Don't let anybody touch that thing. So you come across things like that every once in a while, um, but that's definitely not the norm. And uh, I think it's a viable, uh, a very viable platform. Like I, I think back to my experience and, and it's been a long time now. So like it's, it's I wouldn't say that it's not relevant um, because people would chastise me for that. But in the grand scheme of the evolution of, of TTPs and warfare in general, it's like it, the foundations still remain the same, shoot, move, communicate, right? And how we support the infantry. Um, but obviously the weapons and technology have advanced massively. So uh, I think it's definitely applicable. I think back often to like, hey, how would I, knowing what I know now, and with the equipment that I have now, what would I put on my rifle to be the most effective platform for that particular uh, set of circumstances? The urban, the urban sniper weapon. Sure. So yeah, um, I go back and forth, right? I go back and forth between like uh, like six arc, specifically for like uh, a real hybrid CQB type DMR rifle that you can still get really good performance out of, but be effective in the house. And then obviously there's the, the quote unquote infantry support system, which would probably be a 7.62 platform in a 14 and a half inch gun with suppressor, LPVO, mall, white light, and that's it. Seven. That's what I would. That's what I would take. If that's I good had choice. to do, if I had to do Fallujah all over again, that's what I would take. I'd have a set of bipods and a dump pouch that I could put on when I needed them, um, and uh, 
I'd probably take about six mags. I'd have about I'd probably have three on my body and three in my pack, and probably a couple boxes of ammo in my pack, just because if I had to do it all over again, that's the amount of shooting because um, it was a lot. But um, that's what I would that's what I would build. I like and it, it would probably be it would definitely be um, probably like a one to eight. I, I want to lean towards one to six, but still like one to eight is important because there were opportunities to take some longer pokes. I like that it. You could be effective with. Mm -hmm. Definitely a thermal. I mean, night vision has, I guess it's place, but definitely a thermal for sure. I wouldn't mind getting a thermal. Yeah. Especially for my LMT. No, the first that time I, sick. the first time I shot an inod, it was like, it was just mind blowing. Yeah. I, I just, could see elk bedded in the timber at 1200 meters. And I could watch them. And this was like on a bolt gun, right? I could watch, I could watch the, the, the mist come out of their snouts and I could literally see their jaws moving. It was in, insane. I used an eye knot at the seal sniper schoolhouse and, uh, dude, it was like, Oh my God. Yeah, you could see Tweety Birds flying through the trees. Oh, it was wild. Super wild. I watched my bullet, like, I remember we were shooting in like, it was like pitch black outside. And we were using that and the winds were actually pretty, they were heavier at night than it was during the day. But I could still see all the steel targets. And one target I wanna say was like between four and 500 meters. And I wanna say I held like, somewhere between one and a half or two mils of wind. And it's like, mm. I send it and I just watch that round. It's, it's yeah, not it's so the trace. Cool. I've watched the physical the round just, and just zip yep. and go it's super cool. target or into it. I might've missed it. I don't remember. But Not super cool stuff, man. Oh, sick. Yeah, that would be, so that would be like my total, that would be my weapon of choice. Um, and I would probably, I would probably, um, I would obviously wear my kit in a completely different way than I did back then, like my personal kit, just because we obviously have better carry solutions now, more advancements and, you know, load bearing equipment. But mm -hmm. it would definitely be a, dip, a totally, obviously different battle space. But definitely an AR-10. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I like it. Yeah. I want you to shoot my LMT, man. Well, we're gonna we'll we'll have time to do it in Oregon. Bring it to Oregon. If I can get it uh, dialed in, I've got that gas thing going on. Mm. So I had the uh, so yeah. So with that contract that you hooked me up with uh, with LMT, I remember I was in I was in South Carolina and I was there for my birthday and big old three O, and then you called me. And you're like, hey, yeah, so there's like, the gist of it was like, yeah, there's this contract for such and such, and uh, you're just going to be a shooter for LMT. And I was like, uh, uh, okay, cool. <laughs> so go and do that. And uh, they sent the rifle to, at the time, I had just, I think like that same week or, yeah, literally like a week prior to that. I had, Yeah, we were in Florida. Weren't we? No, it was no. a couple weeks prior, but oh, okay. I was, it was like a couple days prior to that phone call. I had like 
just paid for the Seekins, mm. that SP-10M. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah, that's what you took to Florida. Yeah, I took that to Florida. And um, then, so I'm using that, using the Seekins, and I use that in Florida with you. And essentially just, you know, just getting the reps on that. And I got a lot of questions as far as the Seekins because it's like kind of like that un unobtainium where it's like, oh, what do I, I don't know what to, like, it's a $4,300 rifle. And I got it for about 25% off, but it was like a $4,300 rifle for everyone else. And so it's like, well, I want to, I want to see how this performs. And, uh, Chris at C2 got me hooked up with a, uh, the Knight's Armament buffer system and a B5 stock for it. But I was like, okay, well, I want to see how this rifle does out of the box without changing anything, just so I can like let it stand on its own from factory. And so you saw it shot, it shot decent. It shot, sh I thought it shot pretty damn well. Yeah. Uh, but it was like, I guess kind of like just inconsistent, I guess would probably be the best word for it. Um, and like, I got a lot of flack for it, man. Like people are like upset because that brand loyalty, like I know for a fact, one person that unfollowed me guaranteed because of that. Oh, and so that dude, the nerve. It was a chick. The nerve. The even nerve. Worse. Yeah. How dare? <laughs> so, oh my no, god. No, but it was just like that. It's. It, I'm not gonna get into like about it, but it was the fact that people just got like upset about it, and I was like, "Why do you guys care?" Like, it was literally my money and my rifle. Like, show me on this doll where I hurt you. And it's like. But I was like, I, I never said it was a bad rifle. Not once did I say it was a bad rifle. I still recommend it. I think it was just, so my gripe was like, the, the was just the fact of like, okay, initial impressions, pull it out of the box. There's some scratches on the receiver. Not that I care about scratches. It's just the fact of like, hey, you know, you spent $4,300. Oh, I didn't spend forty three, but you spend this kind of money on it, get some scratches on it, out of the box. It's like, all right, whatever. It's like the, the least of my worries. But it was just an, a note. And then it was uh, the, there was nothing to mount bipods to. So it's like you then had to go buy an, a pick slot or something. It didn't even come with a pick slot. And then the gas system was like under the handguard, just far enough back that you need like a T handle, essentially, long enough one to get in there. So I had to go to the store and buy one to adjust that. And I was like, all right, well, I mean, even when I worked at PSA, dude, our AR-10s that were $800, like came with a, an Allen key to adjust it. So it was like just kind of on principle there. But then the groupings were like, I was actually impressed at first, but then the more and more I shot it, um, it was like, I never knew what I was going to get. So like sometimes they would stack. Sometimes it would be like a minute and a quarter or so, just eyeballing. I didn't fully measure it. Uh, sometimes worse sometimes better and it was just like all kind of like all up in there and i know every rifle has like a natural dispersion but typically like if it's a really tight shooting gun it's typically shooting tight you might just have some that open up more than others but this one was just like every group i'm like i don't know what i'm gonna get and i was just like it's not a bad gun but then it was like if it got a little dirty it would uh, chug do what it would chug yeah, but it, my main concern was like a bolt lock reload after around the third mag. 
like literally like three mags or so, maybe four. And if you hit the bolt release on a bolt lock reload, it got hung up because it was a little dirty. I'm like, okay. And maybe it was just a lemon and I could have contacted Seekins and they, you know, good customer service. I'm super grateful for them helping me out and getting me a discount on it. Super appreciative of them. The people there are amazing. Uh, but unfortunately, people took it the wrong way that I was like, look, it just wasn't for me. And I changed the buffer system to the Knights one then. And it was it, no different. It was literally the exact same. Um, but then I didn't bother changing that out because at the time, that's right when I went with LMT um, for that specific gig. And they sent me the demo rifle to get familiar with at a short action customs because I was like living like 30 minutes from them. And so I got it. My initial impressions, I swear to God, man, I was like, I don't, I mean, cool. I was like, I didn't shoot it. They just handed it to me. They're like, yeah, that's what they sent us. It was like dirty as hell. Like they didn't clean it, no oil, no nothing. And I was like, all right, well. And I just saw like groupings with the Seekins. I didn't really expect much. And dude, that gun shot. Yeah. <laughs> it shot nice. And granted, the based on where the zero range was that they had for me there, it was only 72 yards. But like all those groups were like stacking rounds. And then I showed you one picture of one of the groups. It was like a one whole group of five rounds. Mm -hmm. And it just shot, man. And it was a beautiful, consistent ejection pattern at four o'clock. No issues, chambering rounds. And they sent it to me with about 100 rounds through it, dirty, dry. Uh, dry and it just performed and so then uh we did uh rather well at the comp competition and uh i was like man i'm i'm sold so they sold me the demo rifle that they originally sent me and that's what i have now but unfortunately the suppressor that we were using is a flow through design uh. and so the back pressure is like minimal Right. But I have my Thunder Beast, which has a lot of back pressure. Yep. And so I even got the JB, or no, not one of my, JP. No, 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 I'm sorry. I got the tub spring. I got the tub spring. Right, the flat spring. Yeah, that thing is long as hell. Well, that's what I, yeah, that was one of the first accuracy enhancements that I always did to an AR-10. It didn't like I, my gun. I put a flat spring in there. Well, I'm glad you had good luck with it, man. Like, I, I think it's just like mine was like, over gas, so I bought an H4 buffer. I bought a, what's it called? Uh, the tub spring, and I also bought a Springco Extra Power or whatever, it was like the orange one. And I tried like every concoction. Um, and I was like, well, I know this works flawlessly with the flow through suppressor because it's literally the freaking rifle I used. Yeah. So I know it shoots and I know it runs well, same barrels. And so, um, but with that Thunderbeast can on, it just didn't like it. Just so, like even with the H4 and the extra power springs, like I'm still getting like two o'clock ejection. And I was like, man, this thing is just like, it's too much, but it's not the gun. It's 100% the suppressor. And so it's just not for that gun. Um, so I'm working on getting a, one of those flow through cans, but they got a new generation coming out. So they're not selling me a Gen 1 yet. Um, but. What's waiting for me back at Phil's house is the uh, Black River Tactical Restricted Gas Tubes. So I think what I'll do is just change the gas tube, and I've had nothing but success with those in an AR-15, so we'll see how it performs. 
on this and it'll probably hopefully they sent me one that's so restricted that even with the thunder beast it's a nice ejection pattern um, so i'm looking forward to testing that and hopefully it'll be good to go for next time we meet and you can shoot it yeah sure um but that'll be sick man uh yeah yeah i'm gonna keep i'm gonna i'm gonna keep directing attention more attention to that platform i want to get the the lmt that i have back out and running i used to shoot it a fair amount and um i've got some some old lot 118 lr that it sh that shoots well out of it and so i'm just going to shoot that i've got probably i don't know a few hundred rounds of that left and and uh we'll just run it through that and see how it works and like i understand what that thing's capable of it'll shoot inside a minute sometimes it's a minute but it's like very in comparison to the other gas guns that i've shot in the past it's like okay all right cool yep sweet you know Consistent. I can, yeah i can make headshots at four or five hundred yards with it on you know on those you know those big uh those um i'm having a brain fart here the uh e -type? max point blanks that i have on the range oh those big yeah, 30 yeah. inch tall ones with the heads yep yeah those headshots all the way out with that it's it's a consistent gun it shoots well. sick so yeah um there's just like it's a lot to keep track of you know like staying on focusing on the bolt gun side of the house um like we've talked like shooting pistols and carbines used to be a regular occurrence in my you know addressing of disciplines yeah and it just hasn't and uh, i'd like to get back to it because i really enjoy shooting pistols and i really enjoy shooting carbines oh yeah and it's uh i think it's absolutely mandatory to keep those skills honed because i mean let's be honest we all know that that's going to be the rifle that you grab if and when you need one it's the do it all that I'm going to be able to address all of these specific, you know, missions. It might not be perfect for every one of them, but it's the best choice for all of them. Yeah. I'm looking forward to you getting back into that. But it's crazy, like, because you talked about how it's not, it's like understanding the right tool for the job. Mm -hmm. It's like jack of all trades, master of none. And I think, I think people take things like out of context a lot of times. And it's like, it, you just got to like, when you're trying to explain something, uh, like how I set up my carbine, for instance, I just did that YouTube video on the uh, Alpha Taric. Uh, they got a Gen 4 version actually coming out now. Um, and that video is crushing it, dude. It's got like, like I looked like yesterday or whatever and had like 8.7 thousand views. I was like, man, this thing's doing really good. Um, but dude, then you go into like the comment section, which I should have taken your advice. Don't ever like, read the don't comments. read the comments. Don't ever read the comments. My God, dude, it blows my mind because as people are like, "Well, actually, what I would have done is probably grabbed an LPVO," and it's like, "All right, bro, literally, you just missed the entire concept of this." Or people are like, "Or I could just those, spend like sixty bucks and get this." And those people deserve no attention. No, and so I stopped responding to them because I'm like, there's a lot of positive feedback, but it's just like the stuff that people say is like not. At no point in the video did I say, this is designed to replace this. It was just a, hey, this is the tool, and this is how you use it. That is the end of the video. And it's just like... Can't please everybody, Ryan. I can't. As long as I please, can't please you. Can't please everybody, okay, man. As long as I please you. No. Oh, man, that, that's weird. But that just sounded weird. That sounds <laughs> That's like the guy weird. that came to the, the range yeah. with the... Uh, 
the steel. He's like, I got, I got a three inch dog. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got a three that inch. That was funny. I was like, was, what? Everybody just stopped and looked at him. We were just like, okay, that's awkward. All right. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> you were like, you got a three-inch dong, what? He's like, oh, I'm, I immediately regret that. Yep. I was like, we you don't all, think sometimes, walking. Yeah, it's, sometimes <laughs> it's unavoidable. We say things that we're just like, oh. it's oh. so good. So, yeah, um, this is going to be, this is a, tomorrow's going to be the end of a, uh, of a really, really long go, but that's cool. We got a couple of weeks off. Um. I'm really, really excited for my wife because she like decided that she was gonna like commit and learn. Yeah, that was awesome, dude. She was super she crushed it, pumped. Um, had a great time, enjoyed herself. But for me, the thing that she came back with that was obviously um, I don't want to say obviously the most important. Like all of her experience was important to me, but she came and she's like, I get it. I totally understand now and I have a completely uh, new look and new view as to what you guys are doing and what your customers are experiencing and why people say what they say about having an experience with you guys at Modern Day Sniper. And I was like, well, cool. Like, I'm glad that you have now a better understanding of what we do. And not only that, you had a blast. And you were able to, again, like we talked about earlier in, in this, you know, it's a better connection to yourself. Yeah. And it's a better connection to understanding how you do the things that you do and then why you do the things that you do. And um, she's already pretty open-minded as it is. And this is just, she's like, oh, I get it. I totally get it. It's like, yep. She was having a blast too. She yeah, did well. She was, man. She did really well. Yeah, I'm excited for her. So we're gonna go, I'm gonna go home this week and I'm just gonna be I'm gonna be pretty mellow. Um Yeah, you need a break. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh so I'm gonna teach Cass how to clean her gun. She's gotta clean that rifle. Um she's gonna burn through another about a hundred rounds of a hundred rounds of, of loaded ammo to get brass. And then we're going to develop a load for her for uh, the Guardian match. Then that's going to be her first event. And I think it's going to be a good time for her. Good for her. And I'm looking forward to it, too. That's I haven't shot a Guardian event yet, and I'm super pumped to do it. And, like, shooting at Carl Taylor's place is always a treat. It's always a great experience. I always learn a ton from shooting there. And, you know, hanging out with Carl is just awesome to begin with. So... That's great. Yeah. I want. I do want to do a guardian, and I've heard about these uh, steel safari. I think. Oh, competition dynamics. Yeah, yeah. a buddy of mine uh, invited me out to one. Well, I say buddy, but I've never met him. He's on Instagram, <laughs> so it goes back to that. But we talk from time to time. Ryan, come on, man. Hey, his name's Matthew. Matthew, I know you listen to this sometimes. <laughs> uh, the uh, he's we're, real. We're I swear to God. <laughs> I swear he's not catfishing me like my ex girlfriend, and. Uh, he invited me to one, but we, oh, I forgot what it was. Oh, I'm taking Duffy's class. Sweet. Yeah, in October. Very so cool. So it occurs with those dates. But I do want to get in on one of those uh, in a Guardian, and I wouldn't mind doing an NRL one. Yeah, I, need a I think you'd though. like it. Um, to answer your question about the competition dynamics side, um, Zach and Ray uh, were pretty much like the OGs of that field style shooting. And um, they do it very, very well. Their match is 
incredibly well ran. It's like, it's a three day event and it's so well ran that, you know, if you draw a card in the morning, you're done by like 11, 12. Really? Yeah, it's wonderful. Damn, that's efficient. It's super rad. It's a three day event, um, but that's also why it runs so smooth. They couldn't pack three days of what it is now into two. It would make for two really, really long days. And so they just do it that format and it works beautifully. I love shooting it. I haven't shot in a long time, but I really wanna go back because it's a super fun time and it will challenge the shit out of you with regard to how you manage your, your gear, how you manage your time, how to find targets. And I know that the NRL Hunter does this stuff, um, but I've shot both of those events and without a doubt, I truly believe that Zach and Ray have, uh, they, they take the cake for it. For they have it dialed in. Yeah, they got it dialed. It's not the same experience as an NRL Hunter. Yeah, I want to do it. That sounds like a good time. We should go do it. Yeah, no, they, they, do, a, they do several team events. Um, and they do the Steel Safari, but it's one of those things, too, where it's a very popular match, and they only take so many people, and it fills up fast. Really? Yeah, oh, it's damn. super fast. It's a, it's a very sought-after event. Uh, the location, too. The location is pretty pretty, pretty cool. You is it one a, spot? Yeah, you shoot in a cloverleaf. So each day, um, you shoot a different loop. And... Um, I'm going to get this wrong, but it's like north, south, and west or or something along those lines. I, I'm, it's been a long time since I shot it, but Cody Carroll introduced me to it, and he and I went and shot it one year, and I was instantaneously hooked. It, it was so much fun. I took I took a Proof Research TAC-2. I had a Vortex Gen 1 Razor on it and 6.5 Creedmoor. No suppressor, just a muzzle brake. Bipods, just Harris bipods. <laughs> a backpack and a set of trekking poles. And I took seventh place. Never shot the event before ever. Wait, trekking pole. So is there like rucking or? Well, I mean, you're not rucking, rucking. I mean, it's like you have movements between your stages that okay. are no more than, I don't know, a quarter of a mile. Oh, okay. It's so it's not bad. like mammoth? No, 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 no. It's not like that. Gotcha. Um, and uh, they just set it up really well. There's no ROs, which I, I mean, your RO is the shooter who's in front of you. So you have the same, the same guy who's scoring you all day long. Cool. Um, I think it's, I think it's fantastic. They've only had one instance of cheating over the years and it was like dealt with so swiftly and so justly as it should be. And like, they just don't tolerate shit like that. They murdered him, actually. Oh, no, yeah, absolutely, as they should. <laughs> like, and that's why, He's like, dead. <laughs> that's why I have the opinion that I have about, you know, the, the, the whole PRS, you know, shit that goes on. It's just like, you, you guys deserve it, man. If you're not going to call it out for what it is and hide behind social media accounts, then you deserve it. I don't care. Like, you know, you totally deserve it. <laughs> you know what kind of really threw, threw me off with the PRS thing? Again, I haven't done a PRS one, and I intend on doing it. It's, I'm sure it's fine. A lot of people I know do it and they have a great time, but it's just a lot of that stuff that I've seen where it's like people like from what I've been told from people that are big in PRS and these, this is their words is like the Jersey wears the Jersey boys or stuff like that. Some of them can just be like really extreme with yep. things mm -hmm. and then be like brass goblins where it's like. They just care more about like where's my brass, where, where's my, than actual shooting. It's just like 
You have yeah, to recover I mean, that brass. I'm like, okay. And and that so that's a I mean that's an archetype for real. Like that's that's an archetype, and that is an archetype that exists in all sports. Yeah, it really does. That was one of the things. Um, that was one of the reasons I stopped shooting archery because those archetypes were starting to show up more and more and more. And it was just like, you guys are just taking yourselves way too seriously and you and you kind of suck. You take the fun out of it. What did you call, you said it, you called it something in Volusia, something bench rest? It's bench rest with a bag. Bench. <laughs> I don't I know mean, why I find it. It kind of is, dude. Like you, I mean, I'm not trying to, you know. No, um, not at all. I'm not trying to project or anything like that. But I mean, I do try to call things for what they are. And, you know, I distinctly remember back when I first started shooting in quote unquote the tactical space dudes would turn a nose to guys that shot 25 pound guns we'd just be like what the fuck is that thing what are you doing with that right and that's us being young and you know uh completely unconscious and unaware of how we show up in the world and basically you're being an asshole but it's funny because now the tides have turned and, and now the you know it's 25 pound guns with a sandbag. And so if you want to be competitive to win matches, guess what? That's what you got to do. Yeah. So just like the bench rest world, if you wanted to be competitive in the bench rest world, you had to, that was what you had to have. Like that was it. I heard so, some of those rifles can get up to like 60 pounds. That's a, yeah. I mean, that's like sled guns and stuff like that, but, that's um, wild. you know, and so, but then, you know, then as you mature and you realize, you're just like, well, it's just the bench game. rest is a test of, 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 of the, of the rifle builders ability to build a rifle. Right. And then the shooter's ability. And most oftentimes it's the, the guy who's shooting the rifle is the same guy who chambered the barrel. It's also his ability or her ability to manufacture ammunition that will produce those insane degrees of accuracy. And so it's its own game. Um, and now in the PRS world, we're doing the same thing, but we're using the, we're using the rifle that was otherwise used in a, in a, in a static environment. We're using it in a dynamic environment. Right? I, I would say those Benchers guys are probably the gods of internal ballistics. Oh, they understood it all. Oh my you know, God. And they still do understand it, but you know, that was one of the things that, that I learned quickly is that back in those times, you know, now when, you know, when the, when the six dashers and, and the, and all of those cartridges started to show up, it was just like, those were bench rest cartridges. Those old timers, even back then, 40 years ago, they already figured it all out. Like, we're not learning anything new in this world. Like, the only way that you would know the the information that we're now proliferating on the internet is if you were part of that that circle because there was no internet right oh the good days yeah it was like <laughs> you know and those were the dudes that were at the range hand loading their stuff at the bench shooting it cleaning their rifles shooting it and literally being masters of their craft actual data driven not totally form, data -driven. totally data driven Right. So it's cool. I mean, it's all progression. And, you know, I've come to grips with the fact that, you know, you have to, the only thing constant in the universe that we live in is change. And taxes. Well, and taxes. Yeah. <laughs> For some. Um, 
<clears throat> but yeah, it's change. You got to be, <clears throat> you do have to be okay with change. And if you're not okay with change, then you're the one that's holding your own yourself back for sure. 100%. I agree. I agree. So I'm looking forward to having a couple of days off <laughs> to just be mellow and, and go to the range without, uh, without any other focus than, you know, obviously like I want to help, I want to help Cass. Um, but she's definitely made it a point. She's just like, look, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be quote unquote your wife in that regard. Right. She's like, I want to do this literally by going through a class, number one, using the online stuff, number two, and making sure that like, I'm not like, she wants to learn this the right way. That's I guess good. it's the right way. Then maybe that's not the right way to word it, but, um, she wants to go off on a good start. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Like, I'm not, like, and she knows like, she'd be pissed if I handed her quote unquote, handed her anything. She'd be right. pissed. She'd just be like, get, get out of here. No, I'm doing this myself. Good for her. Yeah. That's the way she is. So yeah, as, I'm looking as you've probably already seen. Yes, I have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to getting back to, um, like I, I'm still living with Phil for now. Um, I, as you know, like I texted him, I was like, you know what? I want more, more, more. Like I'm always wanting more. Like I want to be more data driven on stuff. I mean, I'm already very data driven, but I want to take it a step further and like actually test certain things that I have planned. I want to test. And I said to him, I was like, you know what? I plan on getting more into this competition stuff and I want you to make me a a monster i was like take me past because i've kind of plateaued honestly where i'm like kind of like you were saying where you kind of just like man i'm just like there i need to get to that next level mm -hmm. and it's kind of like hey in the you know fitness world like sometimes you just need a coach to get you to that next level and so i'm looking forward to like I, even when i'm with you i learned so much just in the what two weeks now the two weeks i've been with you and then, but me physically being there with Phil, I can, him and I can just go to the range right there. Sure. Yeah. Eight, eight minutes away from the house. And I was like, dude, make me a freaking monster. Like, let's put a training regimen in and let me clean house. Yeah. <laughs> and yep. I'm curious to try it. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I'll, sure, I'll still get wrecked uh, here and there, which it's is definitely, good. I mean, it's inevitable. It won't happen overnight. The, the, it, you, like, and I'll, I'll admit it, like, I used to, I used to shoot well, uh, relying on, on my talent. And that's not, I'm not trying to be egotistical about that or just as what it is. arrogant anyway. It is what it is. Like I didn't have, I mean, I practiced, but I didn't like have, uh, like a super dedicated practice regime. You know, I could, I could show up and shoot a rifle well and, and, and place well. And then, and now it's the sport has grown. It's just like, no, that's not going to work no more. The, the field is deep, it's thick, and there's, there's dudes out there that are fucking American riflemen that can shoot a rifle. Yeah. And that's like legitimate what it is. And it's, I'm super pumped for it because I mean, literally that's our original sport. The original cultural sport of America is being a rifleman. And so as it should be, the competition should be thick. The competition should be deep. That's our heritage. We are a country of riflemen. No, and so, I agree. Yeah, I man. Agree. But to, uh, so today, today was good. Busy. Um, 
obstacle clearance. We taught him that. Uh, ended it with max point blank. Tomorrow, I think it would be cool, like I said, if we when we throw in the obstacle clearance or loophole shoot or whatever, incorporate doing that with max point blank. I think that'd be a cool little stacking tolerances, if you will, doing that stuff. Do you want them uh, doing the same kind of, what's it called, eval as far as like uh, setting up a ballistic solver from start to finish? Hey, you're zeroing your gun, doing... Yeah, we're going we're gonna to run through our normal eval. Cool, cool. Mm -hmm. That'll be really good for them. But it'll just, instead, it'll be tripods. Um, it'll be tripods and... Uh, obstacle clearance in there it was really good man at the i don't know his name but at the end of the day today uh one of the guys he came up to me he was having a little bit of a harder time comprehending the max point blank with an optimal point blank zero kind of thing not so much the concept but just how to find it yeah and so then he told me at the end of it he's like man I'm doing this for like seven years or whatever and been got, been to classes and stuff and like no one's ever taught me this i was like I mean, it's kind of, if you think about it, it's just basic ballistics. Yeah, it's nothing advanced. It's, yeah. So it's, it's absolutely like, nothing advanced. I don't know. Well, you know, it is what it is. You know, everybody has, every teacher has their different. For sure. Their own individual visions of what they wish their students to be able to do when they leave their classes. And so. That's the beauty of it. Yeah. That's why I say, like, go see other instructors. Absolutely, man. That's it. So. Yeah, man. Let's uh, we'll wrap up tomorrow. You will head south from here. Yeah. And I will head west. So. And I'll never see you again. Oh, uh, <laughs> man, my heart is crushed, Ryan. I know. Um, Are you gonna unfollow me from Instagram? <laughs> I'm gonna unfollow you from Instagram for God's sake. That's how we know it's official. Get a hold of yourself, man. <laughs> that was a joke for you, Caitlin. <laughs> uh, it's been a good time. It's been a super good time. So, um, all right, man. Well, this is a good, cool. I guess, a good place to wrap it up. I'm ready to go get some sleep yep. and um, start off one last day in the marathon. And uh, here's to you, MSTOA. You guys are fucking rad. And um, I appreciate everything that you guys do for your community. And, you know, Modern Day Sniper is always stoked to come down here and, uh, and teach. And uh, anytime you get to come to Montana, it's a treat. So I guess I'm kind of a little selfish in that regard. How dare you? Yep. At least I'm being honest. <laughs> Are you saying I'm not an honest man? <laughs> totally. I am the most honest man you'll ever meet. <laughs> cool. All right, man. I'll talk to you later. Later.